It's gone! It's a grand slam! And that's the ball game. This is the Prospects Baseball Show, your inside look at the boys and girls of summer. Here's your hosts, Dean Millard and Jordan Blundell. Hey there, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on what time you are listening to this. I'm just uh, thankful that you have downloaded another edition of the Prospects Baseball Show, episode 42. My name is Dean Millard, just outside of Edmonton, in the city. My good friend Jordan Blell, the, Jordan Blundell, the head coach and assistant GM of the Eminent Prospects, joins me by phone. Uh, we're getting closer and closer to getting you back in studio as the world hopefully uh, starts opening up again. But how are things, Jordan? Not too bad, Dean. It looks like uh, we are getting a little bit closer with some of the uh, phases. We're getting close to that next phase. and um, we had a little little jump uh, yesterday or the day before in cases, but we've been doing a pretty good job in, in this province. So it looks like things will, will open up here a little bit, and that's based on uh, everybody's safety being uh, the utmost important, and it looks like we were able to maybe push forward a little bit here soon. So that's yeah. good news. It is definitely uh, good news. Uh, we're going to chat with Joey Zanaboni today, a unique play-by-play voice and when i say unique this is what i mean flashing the leather like a nudist colony on a dude ranch retreat this guy has some out there calls hey dude (laughs) yeah definitely some creative and unique calls uh a little spice to the game and and i don't even know if it's spice it's just it's just cool it's entertaining i love it uh you know what there are uh there are people out there that don't like it uh you know there are people out there that that might think it taints the game. Let's check in with our favorite owner, Jim Crane. What do you think, Jim? I don't think it taints it. All right, so Jim is on board. Jim is on board. Yep. He does not think it taints the game. And, and it's the one and only time I'll probably agree with Jim Crane. I don't think it taints the game. I think it's awesome. But but Joey is more than just a play-by-play voice. He is a guy who stood up to racial inequality um, and, and, and rooted and cheered for racial equality at one of his jobs. You're going to hear the story about why he quit a job uh, over racism. So I, I think that's a really important conversation that we need to be having. Every one of us needs to be having right now. I agree. Um, I don't uh, I don't like saying that this was good timing, but it was good to hear, uh, you know, Joey's story. And, and I feel like it's appropriate to, to what's going on right now in, in today's world. And that happened, what did he say, about four years ago? So... Uh, kind of appropriate timing, I guess I'd say, for, for him to be able to share that story. Mm-hmm. And not something that we planned. Uh, you know, we, we reached out, wanted to get him on. Uh, there's a there's an interesting story about me uh, and my history with Joey that you'll hear in a bit, but we reached out to talk about, you know, these, these cool, unique play-by-plays, and, you know, like an onion, uh, this story has uh, a lot of layers to it. So we'll get into that. We're going to talk about how short they can go for a Major League Baseball season. We'll hear The Gambler uh, from Hats Off to Roy Halladay, a little baseball song. Our top five today is play-by-play voices in honor of Joey Zanaboni, who's joining the show. We will have Baseball Thunderdome and your hint, Jordan, <laughs> retired players. It's two retired players today. 
that play the right. infield, infield retired players. <laughs> Okay. You can you can always contact us at Edmonton Prospects or at EDM Prospects, and uh, you can check out the website prospectsbaseballclub.com. At Prospects Pod is where you can get us and www.prospectsbaseballshow.ca. So, Baseball Thunderdome. If if somebody's new to the show, we just started it last week, so it's new to us. I'm going to present two players. Jordan has to pick. No fence sitting. He has to pick which <laughs> player he would take on his team. So, let's get into the baseball talk with. Around the horn. Hey, bada, 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 swing, bada. God, I'm looking at the curveball. Let's go around the horn and get the big news in baseball. So let's start, Jordan, with uh, how low can they go? I mean, how many games is too few of games, in your opinion? What is the, the minimum amount of games Major League Baseball has to play for you to recognize it as a legitimate World Series champion? Well, that's a that's a little weird of a question. Let's let's break this down a little bit. Uh, I'll be all right once they get to the playoffs. Once they get into playoffs, whoever wins the World Series, that's fine by me. Won the World Series. The amount of games for me for the regular season to get to the playoffs, that I, like honestly, Dino, it's one ten. It's up there for for me to really consider it. To, it's an MLB season. Um, but if, and I'm not against doing 50, that shotgun style, that's kind of college baseball style, I think it would be exciting. I'll be tuned in. Uh, I'll love it. But I think for kind of projecting numbers and the history of the game as far as stats and trends are concerned, I'd like to see, you know, over 100 games. Uh, but I don't think either way, if it's a 110, if it's a 162, or even if it's a 50, however they decide to get to the playoffs, once they get to the playoffs, I'm all in. Whoever wins, they get the rings, they get the, the parade, they get to hoist the trophy. I'm down with that. Okay, so is is 50 your minimum then? Like, like if the San Diego Padres win the World Series after playing a 12-game regular season, you would be okay with that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I would be. <laughs> Come on, man. You are, you're, you, 50 has to be. Like, I, I they can't go lower than 50. Like, we're no, talking about 162-game well, season. So, listen, I'm not good at math, but what would that be the equivalent in, in NHL? Like, that would be like a 25-game season. <laughs> yeah, I mean, 12 is a little bit silly, you know. <laughs> 50, that'd be crazy, eh? Like, 15 decisions in the second inning, like, get him out of here. Going right to the bullpen. For me, 50 games is, is not enough either, but because of the way this is, I'm, I'm really open-minded. I think it'll be cool to have a, a shotgun season and it's uh, a straight sprint to the finish line. Um, and whatever they decide to do for the playoffs will be in the best interest of what they think should be the best for baseball. So if it's 12 teams, if it's 16 teams, I just feel like, and we talked about this last week, I feel like it's a free roll. I just want baseball. Now, if this were a strike and, and this were a completely uh, man-made situation... Which it could I, still be. Very true. <laughs> I, I don't think... I, I mean, I wouldn't be pumped for them to just try and bang out 50 games to get to the playoffs. I would probably dislike that more if this were completely man-made, but because of the circumstances, I'm really open-minded. Like, whatever it takes, let's get it in there. Shoot, dude, if we got to play a 12-game season, I'm down. <laughs> Top two teams make it in, and then it goes runs against them. Like it's a youth baseball tournament. Yeah. Combined um, scores. Whatever they, 
Yeah, whatever they got to do. Uh, I, I just want to see it on TV. I've been loving uh, catching the Korean baseball. Uh, the frustrating part of that is, is like I'm up early every morning, so it, that, that's not the frustrating part. It's when there isn't any KBO on, and and it's like seven in the morning, and I'm flipping channels. Like, come on, I want to watch the KBO. So I, I've got to, you get to watch it Saturday, Sundays. I'll take it. I like it. It's fun to watch. I was really close to announcing officially my favorite Korean baseball team, but I held off. I, I was I'm not ready to make that commitment. Dude, there's a couple players in that league that they're going to be in the big leagues. There's a right fielder for Kawoo. I forget his name. I should have wrote this down. I, I, I should have been better prepared. I wasn't sure we were going to go to the KBO, but there's a, there's a right fielder, left-handed hitter. Dude, he's legit. I love his swing. And then there's a power hitter. Uh, and the names, you know, I'm not familiar with the names, but this power hitter's last name has bum in it. You know, it's kind of catchy. You know, I mean, I guess I need to maybe grow up a little bit, but uh, he's a power hitting first baseman who is looking to post. And dude, I think that uh, we talked about who would be good fits for the Blue Jays and what they need. They need a left-handed hitting first baseman put in with those kids. They might be going to Korea to get it. Well, you heard I, it here first. Well, yeah, I, I think that just like when the NHL lockout was on, the CIS was uh, starting to be scouted uh, a little bit more, and players were discovered. So this could be good for some baseball players. Okay, let me throw this curveball at you then. What if there was no regular season and you just had a 30-team tournament, some sort of round robin, and then teams kind of... Uh, so you have six five-team pools or five six-team pools, whatever you want to do, and then the winners come out of that and go into a round robin and the top two teams play for the World Series. I'm down. Would you be, like would it. you be in for that? I, I I like it because I think it, it it satisfies the need to have baseball played competitively, you know, in North America with with our league that we've been tracking. We're really, everybody's familiar with. Uh, if is that realistic? Probably not. But like I said, you know, I'm super open to really going outside the box and trying something new. And uh, you know, my history has been in college baseball. Uh, College baseball is like you need to be the first thing you tell your players is you need to be flexible. You need to be able to uh, adjust to situations that we didn't couldn't predict or prepare you for. Things will come at you. We need you to, to take a breath, handle them, and, and attack them to the best of your ability, and then move on to the next challenge. You know there was there was dude. I got a great story. We're down in Treasure Valley, so it's in Idaho. Uh, this is, shoot, dude, this is 10, 12 years ago now. Uh, we're playing spring games, and it looked like rain was coming in. And it, let's say it's rain's coming in Saturday at some point, and then it's going to just rain all day Sunday. They already know, like, we're canceling games right now. This is the mother of all rainstorms coming. So we talked to their coach, tried to find a way to get some extra games or extra innings because we'd come a long way, and came up with this plan, dude. We, we ended up, you know, starting the game at 2 a.m., it was our fourth game of the day. We played like a doubleheader, had a break, came back, played, went went back to the hotel, had a break, and then went and started playing at 2 a.m. because the rain was supposed to start about 5 and then just not stop. It ended up raining in that fourth game at like 3.34 in the morning, and you know, we had to eventually shut it down. But that's, that's tournament style. That's college baseball style. 
I'm not saying that we should be putting big league players in that kind of situation. Uh, you know, they're paid to play the game. We want the method best and all that, but uh, it gives you that little bit of element of surprise. You, know, you don't know who you're playing next. It's a tournament bracket. I like it. It's, it's exciting. Well, something has to give or else they're not going to have a season. First of all, they have to start arg- stop arguing over um, the, the money and, and, and get something. And and listen, I'm, I'm blaming the owners. They, they had a deal worked out with the players, and now they're trying to renegotiate. The other big thing and more important thing than anything is it's what's going on in our glo- in, in globally right now as um, you know, millions and billions of people are standing up to racial uh, prejudice, racial inequality and racism in general. And, and, you know, we've seen a lot, a lot of black athletes come out and say, where are my white teammates? Like, where are the leaders of our game? Where are the pillars of our game? And subsequently you've seen a number of white athletes come out and speak out about this. You know, I think it would have been nice for them to do it on their own, but they're doing it. And Joey Votto is one of those guys that's speaking out. Yeah, exactly. He uh, he wrote. Uh, I don't remember what would you call that—an op-ed or just uh, an open-ended letter to everybody, um, just kind of explaining uh, the situation for him from his eyes when uh, the George Floyd incident happened, where where the police officers you know, basically they killed him. Uh, you know, and, and he had had some dialogue with some of his African American teammates, and his perspective initially versus what his perspective turned into shortly thereafter uh, was a shift. And uh, subsequently, you know, Joey Votto describing that um, he understands and and is willing to stand with Black Lives Matter, willing to stand with the uh, inequality that's been out there. So a really cool read. Uh, Joey Votto, the cerebral baseball player, uh, you know, a thinking man, baseball player. So uh, it was, it was, interesting it was i wouldn't say refreshing but it, it was just really nice to to read a perspective that comes from the heart and, and be honest you know before during and after the realization and how things change for over the course not that long uh, really cool to, to see that insight from Joey's auto mm-hmm. and, and hopefully more guys speak out step out um you know the comfort zone and listen if, if you lose friends or followers because of it, those are probably friends and followers you don't want in your life. I mean, I don't want anybody in my circle of friends or family that's a racist or that doesn't, if, if you don't want to stand up to racial inequality, you're a racist. Like, I don't understand the argument against ending racism. And I've seen that tweet a lot of times. So hopefully this, um, you know, you're going to hear from Joey uh, in a little bit uh, about something that happened in his life and then went away. Well, I hope this isn't, and I don't think this is this, this moment is going away uh, anytime soon. So uh, it's a conversation that we, we always uh, continue to need to have, especially with our young uh, children. All right. The other thing that we need and, and, Less, of course, than than ending racism, but we need it. We are junkies when it comes to fantasy baseball, Jordan. I mean, you know, there. Are, how many times last year did you forget to give the sign because you were making a fantasy trade? I mean, it is no. in our blood. Um, as we <laughs> as we get closer, how do you think like the fifty game season or or seventy five game season? What kind of an impact is that going to have on fantasy baseball? 
Well, it could level the playing field for, for some of the less successful managers in your league, maybe to the perennial bottom feeders of the keeper league that you might be in, um, have a little different shot. They keep the right guys, 50 games. Who knows? We could see some, some topsy-turvy fantasy league results. Uh, I know my buddies are chomping at the bit. Uh, I'm in a, a long-time keeper league, and I know the guys that we had ready to go for the Prospect Baseball Show Fantasy League were, were ready to go too. So I'm excited just to have that interaction, that kind of you know, that competitiveness and work towards getting into a playoff situation if you get a chance to win a fantasy championship crown. I mean, you know, what what is the game really there for other outside of you know guys getting their fantasy championships at the end of the day? Exactly. I just to let you know, I uh I just yesterday won the uh ultimate franchise fantasy sports uh, their hockey league championship that was simmed on EA Sports. So the ultimate franchise fantasy sports profile platform is is you get in and you have these teams. There's only 20, there's only 31 NHL teams. And when baseball comes on board, there's only as many teams as there are in the professional leagues. And I won the championship yesterday. It is an honor. I get, I'm getting my own jersey created. I can't wait till they launch their baseball platform because you're going to love it. And winning fantasy, um, people that don't play fantasy, they have no idea what it means like when you watch that show the league which is about fantasy football and it's it's terribly exaggerated there is some truth to it to how much a fantasy championship can actually mean to somebody seriously it's, <laughs> it means it's the freaky. world yeah it means the world man. <laughs> it's it's weird yeah we, we are consumed by it so i'm looking forward to it uh for sure getting our fantasy league going and uh, doing all that stuff so let's get to history class today and you're gonna love who was born on this day in 1962 your boy Gibby, John Gibbons, born on this day. Nice. At Jays, like, a, you know, Cito Gaston won the World Series, but John Gibbons, one of the more popular Blue Jay managers that there's been. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, good old boy, John Gibbons, seemed like uh, a player's manager and the guy who played, played hard for him. It's, uh, I, I'm looking forward to seeing him back in the game. Is that what you liked about him, is that he had his players back no matter what? Yeah, for sure. Um, that's important. It's a long season. But, like, it, it's life. You know, it's a, it's a six month season. Like life's happening. You know, it's not just baseball. So, uh, you know, we don't, we're not privy to all the things that go on in all the players' lives. Uh, it's good to know that the, the, the captain of the ship has your back and protects you, um, through the ups and downs of the season. And, you know, that's leadership, man. That's uh, John Gibbons, and, and he's a great interview, too. It's fun to hear him talk. So, mm. um, but, you know, and I'm sure, you know, he's, he's easy to talk to. He's easy to approach from the player's point of view. So that, that makes things easier. You know, when you get into the long season, there's, there's bumps in the road, and it's good to know that you have someone there that you can talk to or that's a positive influence on the, on the clubhouse. On this day in 2010, the 2019 World Series MVP made his debut, Steven Strasburg. And it was a it was a long-awaited uh, debut. Um, he struck out 14 against the Pirates in seven innings as the Nats won 5-2. Think back, if you can, uh, 10 to 10 years ago, the anticipation of seeing this guy who was so highly touted. What do you remember? Well, he was the, the top college baseball pitching prospect in forever, he was one of those guys. He, he was a golden arm and uh, had absolutely dominated uh, in college baseball. His numbers were above video game-esque numbers. 
a huge hype. Can't miss. Um, you know, was going to be a number one, a true number one, uh, and, and he's turned into that. And yeah, with the with the arm issues, and also with Strasburg, he he was the first guy they did the really in, in baseball's version of the load management. Uh, that's where this uh, inning limits, you know, pitch count, uh, strict diet of pitching. Uh, was implemented for Strasburg, and that has now seeped into every organization in baseball. And they were kind of the leaders as, as far as, at, at least publicly, the leaders of of putting some restraints on on their young stud stallion horse and delaying his ascent to you know full go, no no strings attached. We're, we're not holding you back. It's, it's your show to go. Yeah, they shut him down before the playoffs at uh, yeah. at one point. Okay, a guy who played his final game, and I couldn't find him in the box score, but it's listed as his final game today. Uh, 2013, Rick Ankeel, who was uh, had a bit of a strange career because he, he kind of transformed himself to prolong his career. Yeah, totally. He was a uh, top, top pitching prospect and then got the case of the yips on the mound. Uh, lost, lost command. Uh, sad to see. Uh, we watched that happen uh, in, in the playoff game live, mm-hmm. uh, and then you know, kind of, you know, went down all the way down to A ball and, and hung him up, and then came back as a position player and ended up making him making it all the way back up to the big league from the low minors, and and having a, a, a good big league career as a hitter more than serviceable, and, and what a great story, great inspiration, and, and kind of overcame some things that he was dealing with. Uh, in his life and, and his mentality and, and was able to persevere again and get up to the highest level. So uh, there's going to be a, a really good 30 for 30 on that story here at some point. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, that That is a, a feel-good story when he makes it all the way back. All right, here's three things that I picked out for this day in history. 1979, two Hall of Fame NFL quarterbacks are taken in the 4th and 17th round by the Kansas City Royals. Do you remember? Do, can, can, do you have a guess of who they would be? <laughs> no. Dan Marino no and John Elway. So they took a shot on some golden arms. Yeah. yeah I think maybe you know, Elway would uh, be able to gun somebody out from right field pretty good. I think Elway went to spring training with the Yankees or the Royals. Yeah, he, he did because he was holding out. Uh, he never played a game in uh, Major League Baseball, though, uh, because he was no. holding out from the Broncos. 2005 no, yeah. now, A-Rod goes 4-for-4 four four with two home runs, becomes the 40th and youngest player to reach 400 home runs. He passes the kid, Ken Griffey Jr. Um, where? What are your thoughts on A-Rod in the Hall of Fame? Ooh, that's a tough one. I don't like it. Okay. Okay. Uh, 2008, Rich Harden starts a game for the A's with nine straight strikes. Meiser Asturis, whose brother played in Edmonton, uh, Howie Kendrick and Garrett Anderson all go down in an immaculate inning, which is um, sometimes uh, people consider it harder to do than an actual no-hitter because you have to throw nine strikes in a row, uh, and that's that's sometimes uh, near impossible. Yeah, good good old boy from Victoria. There's uh, some guys I played with that played against him in, in high school. and uh, Absolute cannon of an arm. Uh, too bad his career ended a little early, too, but he was, 
he was big time there for a little bit. And the Immaculate, hey, I mean, this has come up a couple times on the show. I've seen it once. Uh, it was awesome. Uh, it was the seventh inning of a seven inning game to, to end the game, to win the game. Uh, it, it's it's something to see live, man. Nine pitches, three strikeouts, you're done. Pretty cool. All right, let's get to our interview with Joey Zanaboni. You will be entertained and you will learn something from this interview as well. As we get into it, here's the gambler uh, from the artist. Hats off to Roy Halliday. Excited to bring on the baseball play-by-play voice of the Johnson City Cardinals, affiliate of the St. Louis Cardinals, and St. Mary's University, uh, Joey Zanaboni is joining us. And uh, just quick, interesting story. Uh, Joey and I were supposed to talk over a year ago. It was actually the day he was supposed to come on the show that I was hosting called Sports Night. The day that Bell Media made their countrywide uh, cutbacks, I was let go, and Joey and I were never able to to do our uh, interview. So it's an, it's an interesting um, way we get to where we are, and I'm really pleased to uh, bring on uh, Joey Zanaboni. And one of the reasons we wanted to have Joey on is he is one of the most unique play-by-play guys there is. And just to give you a little taste, here's here's one of his interesting calls. Yeah, been something else. Kuchera living on the corner like a recently evicted crossing guard. I love it. Joey, great to finally <laughs> chat with you. That's a great call. We're going to get into some of your really unique calls. But first of all, give us a little bit about your baseball background growing up and, you know, uh, kind of uh, having a, a connection to a Yankee legend. Yeah, well, hey, thanks for having me on. And uh, Yeah, that was, uh, that was a crazy day, crazy time kind of uh, for me as well when we were supposed to uh, link up and... Uh, yeah, it was just uh, just uh, good to finally kind of get around and talk to you. But uh, yeah, you know, I was uh, I was lucky enough to know my grandfather for eighteen years, uh, same name Joe Zanaboni, and you know he was the son of Italian immigrants. He was the uh, first generation born in America in the little Italy of St. Louis, the Hill, and he grew up with Yogi Berra as well as Joe Garagiola, and some of the stories that he told me when I was a kid about growing up with Yogi and 
even once telling me that he was the one who originally gave Yogi his nickname, as well as uh, Joe, who he called the boy with the silver tongue, uh, made me believe not just in the power of baseball and not just in the power of being able to talk about baseball, but uh, in the power to make your own way in America, uh, regardless of what anyone thinks or says. Uh, you know, Italian immigrants in, in America at that time faced quite a bit of persecution and prejudice. And it was something that, uh, you know, had to be overcome by that generation. And so it gave me quite a bit of uh, hope, uh, as well as quite a bit of belief, not only in the uh, my family, but I guess in my culture as well. And so that's, that's kind of, uh, really where it all started, I guess. You know, that, uh, is a, is a, is an unbelievable background and, and, to you know, be able to be around your grandfather for 18 years and, and kind of pick his brain and get some of those stories. It, it must've been just amazing. Um, mm-hmm. did, did he share any of those kind of backyard street? Six ball type games with you, and is that something that you did growing up? And, and kind of what's your baseball background from when you were a, a young lad? Oh, sure. You know, I, I played quite a bit in, in little league and into high school stuff like that. And I was just a baseball junkie. I think that one thing. Well, I'll give you two. You know, little tidbits that I think ended up being formative for me. One of them would be standing in the backyard with my brother, who's a couple years older than me, and I would throw toward a fence. Um, and he would jump up and try to rob, you know, the home run. And I would just stand there and just announce those moments, which is pretty much the most exciting thing uh, that uh, can happen in the field, in my opinion, outside of maybe a game and a double play would be somebody robbing a home run. So that was uh, that was one of those moments where I felt like, you know, I, I started to, uh, tune into what it meant to be a broadcaster on a really just elemental level as only a child can kind of sense. And then I think the other one would be, you know, I was a baseball nerd growing up. And at one point, I think I just kind of sat down and I would read about baseball constantly. I just, I sat down and I memorized all of the world series winners and um, it kind of got to be in grade school and then when I got into high school um, you know people would just kind of always ask me oh hey who won the World Series in, in 1936 you know who won the World Series in 1928 you know the Yankees in both cases but I, I was constantly kind of being peppered with these trivia questions about <laughs> baseball history and um, it kind of got old after a while because it kind of felt like bullying to be honest with you it felt like you know some uh, the uh, inquiries were legitimate, but some of them were just sort of trying to make sport out of me. And so <laughs> I think in that regard, I, I kind of saw the limits of being a baseball nerd and of just sort of looking at um, stats and figures and baseball history. And, and it turned me off to the game for a while, to be honest with you. I was not somebody who wanted to sort of go down that um, path again. But, you know, I think that's something that sets me apart now. I do quite a bit of talking about stats and about baseball history. But um, I realize there's more to it than that. There has to be more to a a baseball broadcast than just uh, regurgitating some of the things that that, uh, have happened and, and just kind of being a trivia machine, I suppose. 
So what do you remember about being a kid and loving baseball? What was it that you absolutely loved about the game as a kid? And has that changed or is it still the same for you? Uh, yeah, I think baseball has changed. I think the sport has changed. Obviously, you get older, you have a different relationship with the sport. But uh, I think in the last 10 years, the past decade has solidified analytics and sabermetrics as the dominant sort of way to talk about baseball. It's the dominant way to access baseball. For me, the the most magical summer of my life would be 1998 when Mark McGuire in St. Louis was breaking Roger Maris's record. Um, and obviously there's been, you know, things to quote unquote tarnish that since with his admission of using PEDs and so forth. But, uh, the magic of that summer and the sheer, just kind of surreal atmosphere of watching him hit those home runs, um, really, it can't be replicated, but in some ways, and I know this documentary on ESPN about that summer is, is supposed to come out this month. In some ways, I feel like that was kind of the last stand of, of baseball mythology. There was something about him and Sammy Sosa, Ken Griffey Jr., um, looking to break that record that summer that transcended numbers, transcended any sort of uh, story that had come before you. So these guys were titans and they were gods of baseball. Um, you know, now... Uh, baseball has become theoretical, in my opinion. You know, people are more interested in playing fantasy baseball than uh, watching baseball and creating myths out of the players. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know. There's so much that's changed in the world since since the late 90s. But I think that, you know, there's something that has changed about the game and become a little bit more... Uh, soulless about baseball and I just hope that there's a romance that will return to it soon. You touched on this a, a little bit earlier about uh, some amazing calls you made for your brother robbing home runs in the backyard. Um, outside of that being your maybe your official start to broadcasting, uh, kind of when did you get started with uh, play-by-play and broadcasting? What was your first job? Kind of how did you get into that uh, stream of the game? Yeah, you know, when I was a kid, I won a contest when I was in fifth grade called the Snickers Junior Voice of the Little League. So my prize was going to the Little League World Series and actually being on some of the local radio broadcasts in Williamsport. And as I got a little bit older, I just wasn't quite as sure whether or not I wanted to go into it. Um, you know, there's some shortcomings, I think, to baseball broadcasting. And, and I think there's some, some question that I had about whether or not it would really be something I would, I would want to do. And I, you know, I, I got a little bit cynical about it for a while, but after college, I kind of said, I'll, I'll really, uh, kick myself if I don't give this a chance. And so I, uh, got a job with a wood bat summer collegiate team the Derby Twins right outside of Wichita, Kansas. And then from there, I got hired at a historically black college in Mississippi called Cahoma Community College, which is uh, one of 15 junior colleges in Mississippi and what's a really very competitive um, collegiate sports atmosphere. And so I did that for, for three years, and I, was, I would work in independent baseball, independent professional baseball, uh, calling games in the summer. And so that was kind of my start, and that was really, uh, to me, working at Cahoma, you know, right up there with, with anything as being one of the most for, formative 
and important experiences in my life. It was a little bit off the beaten path. It is the smallest junior college in Mississippi, and it's also the only historically black junior college in Mississippi. And so I, I came to understand a much different slice of life, and I came to understand a much different part of the country than the one that I had grown up in. And so it expanded my perspective and also expanded my idea of what sports announcing could be. Hmm. Uh, it's an interesting journey, and it's taken you now uh, to, to the level uh, that you're at, calling uh, the Johnson City Cardinals, uh, as well as uh, some work with St. Mary's University, and you definitely mm-hmm. have uh, a unique style. So we're going to get into some of the more unique calls that you have, and, and we'll just start with this one. Got him. Licking the corner like a neglected zebra, lapping up a styrofoam cup of Mr. Piv at an underfunded zoo. All right. <laughs> first of all, first of all, what is Mr. Piz? Is that what he, Mr. Piv? Like a, a neglected Mr. zebra? Piv. Like, tell us about this call. Yeah. Well, I love Mr. Piv. And it actually, it still exists, but they call it Piv Extra now. <clears throat> but I, I've always loved it. It's the, been the tastiest sort of of the sodas of the, uh, you know, sort of Dr. Pepperish type sodas that's out there. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I write them, those lines, and I do write a lot of them beforehand. I, I write those lines out of, uh, out of an idea of salvaging baseball cliches. And so there's that cliche that somebody's living on the corner or hitting the corner. And so there were a, there were kind of a series of things that I had been doing and that I still do living on the corner like a recently evicted crossing guard. And I remember before that game, it was University of West Florida versus Mississippi College, first game of a doubleheader. And I, I had come up with some of them the night before and just kind of out of the blue, just right before the game started, I just thought of that uh, for some reason. And I just jotted it down and I might. Uh, friend Ryan Mobley, who was doing the camera, uh, kind of saw it before the game on a little piece of paper by my microphone, and he started laughing. I said, "Well, I got that one for sure. I think it, you know if they if they don't even hear it and they just see it and laugh, then it's probably pretty good." So that that was how how that one came out. But you know, I just I think of what I do as as taking common plays and common phrases. And then as a scuba diver will, you know, dive down to a sunken barge and take little pieces of metal off of the barge so that they can be repurposed. Uh, That's what I think of of what I do as, as taking baseball cliches and just trying to spin some new out of them, I guess. All right, here's another one. Flashing the leather like a nudist colony on a dude ranch retreat. (laughs) That's probably my favorite ever. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I like that one too. So, you're coming up with these, you, you, you spent some time, uh, you know, working through some some catchphrases and, and uh, some cliches, and, and I'm hopeful some of these stick because there's some beauty. What was the initial reaction uh, when, when you brought these out of the vault and, uh, you know, got them into the public stream? What was the initial reaction? Indifference. But that's the reaction anytime you're doing something that's, that's, uh, different or out there. Uh, people don't pay attention for a long time. And then one day suddenly they do. And then usually they lose interest and you end up, uh, kind of back where you started from in some ways. Um, you know, the, the truth is, is that the people that I've worked directly with in a 
lot of these places that I've been, uh, for better or for worse, their uh, kind of guiding principle has been to stay under the radar. As much as you know, you sort of think that small teams or small colleges would like to get uh, a lot of attention. Um, you know, that's that's often not the case. Their goal is to stay under the radar and not to do anything that might stir the pot. And so I think there was nervousness in some ways from those people that I, I worked directly with because they didn't know how it would be received. Um, but it has appealed to just common fans. It has appeal to people who don't even really care that much about baseball. They're just casual sort of viewers and listeners. Um, and so eventually I think that just by putting enough of it out there and finding a way to package it with music in these sort of short videos, eventually, yeah, it, it caught quite a bit of, of attention. Um, and, and it's sort of raised my profile now, but you know, the path of the individual in any art form is going to be long. There's not an immediate embrace of people who are doing things in a different manner in this business or really in any other business. And, uh, while there's some, you know, sort of direct backlash that I get sometimes and people will, you know, say mean things on Twitter or something like that. Generally the, the response has just been indifference. Uh, but that is, you know, the, the trial and tribulation of any artist is, is trying to, chisel away and hammer away at that great monolith of people just not understanding or caring. Um, I, yeah, so so that would, would be kind of what I would say the immediate reaction was, sure. All right, uh, I got another one. Um, I really like this one as well. Matt Sullivan hammering it like that collection agency is doing to me over that unpaid bed, bath, and beyond bill. See, the reason I like that one is because that I could put that in my old generation and it would be uh, like, uh, what was that? Uh, what was that thing that you sent away for like nine CDs for a penny or something like that? And they would always be sending you like uh, bills. And so I, I like that because I can work into my uh, generation. So we know about the creation process. We know about the initial reaction. How often do you work this into your broadcast? Cause I'm assuming you're not doing this on every single call. So the, that that's a delicate balance right. of play by play is, you know, a, a, a guy gave me advice one time in my broadcasting career. He says, you don't have to be a stand up comedian all the time. You can make the odd joke, but if you do too much of it, then people are, are turned off. So how, how do you work it in and, and what's been the reaction from maybe other um, you know, program directors or, or different places that maybe you've looked to for employment of mm -hmm. other play-by-play -play guys. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I think you hit the nail on the head. The, the curse of having some of this go viral on social media is that people mistake the back to 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 back one-liners as being all that you do. Those are just highlights. You know, they're really five to 10 second clips that are just positioned back to back to back to back to back. Um, in the actual broadcast themselves, I mean, it just depends on the game. If I'm doing it for a team and something good happens for the team, I describe the play, I have a high-energy style, and then, you know, once it's done, it's, it's you know, one-liner time. I kind of let the crowd noise come in, and then it's Matt Sullivan hammering it like that collection agency keeps doing to me over that Bed Bath & Beyond bill. And so in the course of the game, uh, you know, it, it's really actually quite a bit 
more of your traditional play-by-play, just describing the action, the stats, player bias, things like that. That's just not really what catches people's attention on social media as much. And so I, I kind of uh, just distill it down for Twitter and Facebook and stuff into into that form. Um, I think that you know, <laughs> there's some people who love it. There's some people that hate it, mm-hmm. and you know, you'd be amazed. I mean, the past. You know, sometimes people come up to you and they're just like, "I can't believe." You know, you said this. I can't believe you. You know, I I have to always go online and see what you're going to say next and stuff like that. And you're like, wow, that's uh, that's really something. You just you're kind of surprised that people love it that much. And then there's some people who come up to you and say, you know, uh, you're a disgrace. You're an embarrassment. <laughs> wow. um, we would never hire you. We're a family company. That's been a direct uh, quote that's been said to me. And I always kind of look at them kind of the same kind of in the same way. And I just, I say, I mean, are you okay? Is everything okay in your life? Because if this is getting you this upset, then um, there must be something really, really wrong with you. Uh, Again, I think the greater thing is just indifference. I think, you know, for a lot of people, it just doesn't, it doesn't really make any difference in their lives. And that's kind of the the greater thing to break through. Um, But yeah, there's been people who have worked in, you know, professional broadcasting who, you know, have said, you know, I mean, basically, we hate you. You know, what you do is stupid. You're an embarrassment. You're a disgrace. And I'm not big on, I don't dunk on people on social media. I don't, I don't like beefs. You know, that's just not really who I am. And so, my default mode is really more to just think, I I don't know, are you okay? Is everything all right in your life? (laughs) You know, um, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, you know, but, but then again, on the other hand, you know, people who just, they can't get enough of it. Um, so I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's weird. It's kind of an odd place to be. Um, I think I got all the questions. Was there, was there another No, no, that, yeah, that's it. I, d- I just <laughs> think, uh, yeah. man, like with everything going on in the world, if this is what really upsets you, you must be living in some sort of mm-hmm. bubble. I mean, if this is really what gets you, like you're not swearing, yeah. you're not being racist, you're not being homophobic, like there's nothing uh, right. terribly offensive. So I that, that's just a little yeah, bit strange. It's really tame, um, and I think somebody that you know people compare me to or whatever is Bob Menery, who's extremely popular online and has millions of followers and all stuff. And you know, Bob is—I I think it's you know some of it is funny, but I describe what he does as what the f humor. He just—it's just there's some weird play, and he'll just basically kind of the crux of the joke is, oh, what the f just happened with that. And he cusses and he, he uses sort of these um, very, very vulgar kind of analogies and stuff. And, and I kind of do what I do is really just PG. Um, there's really nothing wrong with it. But, you know, people look to get, look to get, um, I, people look to get upset with anything that's popular. And that's just, you know, the nature of something uh, gaining some steam or something like that. Um, I, I, I don't know. I don't really care. <laughs> it doesn't really matter to me, uh, what sort of people think about it or, or don't think about it. I've just been doing this cause it's, it's fun. And when I started out, um, really kind of working in independent baseball and, and college baseball, you know, 
I was always really afraid of saying something stupid you know, or of saying something that, that maybe could you know, be perceived as being too edgy or something like that. So I used to do the games in this really high energy way. Like I had just drunk 10 cups of coffee, which was not true. I'd probably only drank, you know, six or seven cups of coffee, mm-hmm. but I used to just go and just do this really high energy way, but everything would just be kind of like a cliche of like, this is what you're supposed to say here. And as the years went by, I kind of just, I kind of just was like, eh, it's a little bit boring because now at this point I'm just, I'm doing these games like a paint by number. Like if there's a ground out, I'll say this. If there's a strikeout, I'll say that. And so the challenge and the fun part became like, what if I could say something that's never been said before, regardless of whether it's funny or good or bad or what if I could just say something that's never been said before in this situation, um, or at least that I've never said before in this situation. And so, uh, a hero of mine is Ken Kesey, the author of One Blue of the Cuckoo's Nest. And, you know, he, a lot of his life philosophy centered around leaning into your fears and facing your fears. And so I had this big fear of, oh, what if I say something idiotic and then it goes viral online? And I, I kind of lived under this rock of I just had to avoid that. I just had to avoid that. And then all of a sudden, one day I said, what if I don't have to avoid that? What if that's exactly what I need to be doing? And then I say, you know, flashing the weather like a nudist colony on a dude rancher tree. And so that's kind of been my, I, I guess that's been so, sort of the philosophy around it has been to, you know, lean into what makes you afraid. I love it. Uh, I think a lot of us could uh, learn a lot from that. All right, I'm going to play one more clip. Uh, it's my favorite. And then I'll let Jordan pick things up on the other side of this clip. seen anything on fire like this since I escaped that Church of Satan stronghold. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I, I love the calls, too. I think they're, they're creative and fresh, entertaining. Um, and speaking of entertainment, um, you've got some experience being in the minor leagues and in the Appalachian League. And um, mm. Have you come across any baseball promotions? Do you have a favorite minor league baseball promotion that uh, that? one of the teams that you've been calling or, or you've uh, gone to their park has done? Well, I'll tell you what my least favorite one was. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, it was actually it was five years ago this month. There was a team out in uh, Utah, Warren, Utah. They're an L.A. Angels affiliate. And they actually hired me. I was working at Cahoma, uh, historically black college in Mississippi. And, and during the summer, Warren hired me to come out and be the broadcaster. And the day that I got out there, they said, you know, we're uh, thinking about doing a promotion in the stadium called Caucasian Heritage Night. And I said, I said, please don't, you know, that sounds like a terrible idea. And I tried to make just kind of a reasoned, but passionate argument against it. And, um, you know, they didn't really have a very professional reception to me trying to do that. Um, and so I ended up resigning in protest from the team Good. Um, in protest of them planning to do it. And then eventually gaslighting uh, the community, the minor league baseball community, as well as just, you know, the national press and trying to write it off as, Oh, it was just a joke. You know, some of the things that were being said and, you know, bandied about behind the scenes um, made me, fairly certain that this was not something that was 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 
anodine or harmless. There was a, a racist intent behind it. And so I ended up resigning from it. Um, I was in the national news for about a week and it was a big story and then everybody forgot about it, <laughs> you know, and, uh, it, it kind of, it was kind of funny to me, uh, when kind of that video that you're just playing clips from went viral, because I think a lot of the reaction behind it was like, Oh my gosh, where, you know, who is this guy? What is he, in? where did he come from? Why did he, why is he doing the games like this? And the truth was, was that, you know, I became kind of disillusioned with minor league baseball after going toe to toe with racists and um, people who did not have respect for all fans, all people. Um, I became disillusioned with it and I became disillusioned with sort of the media as a result of it as well. It was really shocking to me. I resigned the team and just said, I, I just, I'm going to walk away from this and just go on with my life. And the next day there was an article in the Salt Lake Tribune that was eventually picked up by Deadspin and USA Today that actually blamed me for the event and said, oh, he was the mastermind behind it. That's why he resigned. Luckily, I had evidence. I had written evidence that I was not the person behind it. In fact, I was the one opposing it. So I'll never forget contacting USA Today and, and Deadspin and the Sully Tribune saying, you've gotten this completely wrong and it needs to be corrected. And so it was corrected. And uh, in the span of about six hours, I went from being a huge villain to being a huge hero. Right. And um, what was crazy was that when, when the, like I said, that video went viral and a couple of those videos went viral about 12 months ago, USA Today wrote an article that said, this guy deserves a, a, a major league baseball job. You have to listen to these videos. And I actually emailed the writer and I said, you know, it's funny because four years ago, a little less than four years ago, you, one of your coworkers was assassinating my personal reputation in a national publication and now you're writing this article and you don't even mention it because you've forgotten about it. Even though it was in your own paper, uh -huh. it was on your own blog. You've forgotten about it. This had an enormous impact on my life. This was destruction in the most insidious and negligent lie that I hope will ever be told about me in my life. And, and for it's just a shrug of the shoulders. But now you see, now you see how deep that pain was because I had to learn to take that pain and take those lessons and refashion them into something greater. So you're wondering, how are these calls so creative? And now you're writing about them in USA Today? Well, I'll tell you. <laughs> Go through that crucible have who you are destroyed and then understand what it's like to rebuild. Yeah. It's not, uh, when somebody assassinates your character, the, un the unfortunate thing is, is they're not going to reach every single person with their retraction that read the, uh, right. the original story. And, and that's how that works. And you know, it's, 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 it's incredible that you, you know, you've, 
you've sustained that hit and you know came back and still doing what you're doing uh and, and i and i wonder what your thoughts are on you know the you know obviously nobody as you mentioned people kind of forgot about you standing up for uh, racial injustice i don't think anybody is going to forget what's going on right now uh in in the course of uh of history um we have uh, people parading in the streets and protesting in the streets over racial injustice all while we are certainly affected by covid 19 still uh and and we're all shut down it's such a, a strange time and then in this entire environment you have major league baseball arguing over millions of dollars it just seems like they're not reading the room right now yeah, well, you know, I, I mean, there's so many people in America who have said, well, if baseball comes back, you know, that'll heal so many wounds and things like that. But, uh, you know, I make my living in professional sports. Um, but, you know, the reality is that with the distraction of sports being on hold, we have had to come face to face with some of these issues that are really uh, detrimental to society. And so, you know, in some ways, there's a part of me that says, I hope sports don't come back for a while still so that we can focus on more important issues. Um, you know, baseball is about money now, and they measure the interest in the game um, in dollars and cents. And so that's that's a kind of a normal squabble that is, that is not uh, productive to the growth of the game or conducive to the growth of the game that's now playing out in a, in a news sort of vacuum. And, and we're focusing on that. I hope major league baseball, minor league baseball will take this opportunity, regardless of whether, whether they get on the field for zero games, 50 games, hundred games this season. I hope they take this opportunity to, um, expand the outreach to minority communities, especially the black community, where I think they have not done enough, to uh, show support for uh, growing the game, getting people involved in the game. I wasn't satisfied with minor league baseball's reaction to the Orem Owls trying to do Caucasian Heritage Night. I wasn't satisfied at all. In fact, I felt like the reflex in that situation was bury it, forget about it don't ever bring it up again. And it's easy when the entire country is talking about reforming some of these uh, racial injustices to put out a statement and say, we support racial equality. But it takes some balls to look a white heritage night in the face and say, we will never, ever have that done again and take action that uh, really would have been punitive toward the people who came up with that idea. But I don't think they did enough for it. And I think that, you know, when you excuse hatred, then, you know, later on, when you're talking about, um, you know, supporting racial equality and supporting protesters and the Black Lives Matter movement. So, I mean, it, you know, it doesn't have the same effect because you show that you're willing to let things slide. You're willing to 
shrug your shoulders. So do you think that there's uh, an organization or a handful of organizations uh, at the MLB level that um, maybe have done the best job of uh, being inclusive and being open and having already maybe confronted some of these issues and got past them uh, with the level of organizations they run? And, and as such, is there an organization you feel has done a good job of that to date and that you want to work for? Yeah, Tampa Bay, I think, on the major league level. I think on the minor league level, you know, the hosts of Jackie Robinson part, the um, uh, Daytona Tortugas there in the in the Florida State League, I think they've done uh, quite a good job. You know, they're sort of stewards of this long tradition of, of um, progress, making progress, going back to Jackie Robinson, who I, I think debuted uh, professionally there in Daytona, as I recall. I, I mean, there's some other organizations, you know, that have that have done a good job. And, you know, you don't want to cast a wide net over baseball and say, well, you know, there's there's nobody who's done anything. Of course, there there are teams and so forth that have done a very very good job. I think the Chicago White Sox, you know, supporting Tim Anderson, have done have done quite a good job of uh, of showing that they're committed to that idea of progress and that they're committed to helping the game reform. But, uh, you know, there's a long way to go. And I just think that there's too much reflexive thinking in baseball. And, and, you know, again, it it sort of goes back to uh, what are you going to do sort of day to day? Obviously, I'm all for honoring the memory and the life of Jackie Robinson. But I think sometimes you know, Major League Baseball doesn't do a good enough job of addressing the issues of systemic racism today in 2020 and instead are, are happy to just say, well, you know, we celebrate on uh, April 15th every year uh, with, with the day that Jackie Robinson debuted. You know, you have to, you have to be willing to confront modern racism as well. And I, I just, I, I don't know. I think there's, there's too much, you know, of, of sort of, you know, just looking to the past in any aspect of baseball. And I, I just hope the game starts looking toward the future more than it's the only way that, you know, it'll ever grow again. All right. Uh, let's wrap up with looking back one more time. And, and, you know, when we talk about Major League Baseball scandals, uh, you know, we, we're just we're talking about racism right now in, in 2020. Um, first of all, it's crazy that it took till 1947 for somebody to break the color barrier. Right. So when you're talking about all time scandals, that might be that one right there. Right. But I'm going to give you three. I want to I want you to rank them in order of one being the worst and three being the least offensive. So we'll start with 1919 Chicago White Sox throwing the World Series. We'll throw in Pete Rose betting scandal. And last year's Houston, or last few years, Houston Astros sign stealing, uh, garbage can, mm-hmm. button cheating, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> Rank those one to three, one being worst, three being least offensive. Yeah, yeah. Um, wow. It's tough. I, I, I think the, the White Sox there would be the most offensive because of the way that it disrupted people's trust in the game. Um, 
you know, I, I think Houston probably there would be the least offensive, which is only a way of saying that it's, you know, the least serious. And, and right. I just say it because there have been so many other, I'm no Astros fan. And I think that the punishment should have been harsher for the people who were involved, including the players, you know, in that. But uh, it's a long tradition of guys putting telescopes, you know, in the in the scoreboard. I think Bob Feller, the great Bob Feller, who was a, a Navy vet, you know, he had this old telescope off of his battleship. And when the Indians won the, the World Series in 1948, uh, they sort of were able to push to the pennant. Uh, in part because they had a telescope out in the in the scoreboard, and that was that telescope that Bob had from his battleship. And so it's a long, you know, series of uh, of you know scandals. And the Astros, you know, they didn't have a. It wasn't an earth shattering idea. It wasn't a. It didn't take sort of a genius to make that jump of what if we just get a live feed? Uh, I think it's still serious. Uh, you know, Pete, I guess, would be number number two. He would be the second, uh, second worst or the second uh, of the best out of those three. He was an individual, and you know, Pete. Uh, uh, he has many problems. You know, he has uh, quite a few problems uh, in his life. He has, you know, addiction, and uh, he hurt, you know, a lot of people. I think by lying about those addictions for a long time. Um, but it was one individual and, and uh, you know, with the White Sox or the Black Sox, I guess, you know, they, it was many of them taking a, a you know, a, a concerted effort to be involved with um, organized crime and they made the game into uh, something that people couldn't trust anymore. Uh, as a result of those efforts, I don't know though. I, you know, unfortunately, it's I'm only I was born in '91. So hmm. The only person, or the only scandal, really that <laughs> I've ever experienced firsthand the Astros scandal. It seemed like at a time, you know, it's like four months ago or five months ago, it was all sort of coming down. You know, and just it seemed like it's the biggest deal in the world. Now you look at all the stuff that's happened yeah. on planet Earth since then. It doesn't seem like such a huge deal. But I, I guess I would say, you know, it would be the least offensive, and then the Pete would be the second. I think the, I think the, the Black Sox would be, would be the worst. All right, this has been a, a lot of fun, uh, a good conversation, um, you know, and and I didn't even know uh, that uh, the the minor league uh, racism situation even happened. So I'm glad you were able to open yeah, our eyes yeah. <laughs> uh, to that, uh, and and I love the creative calls. I hope we see you at other levels and people realize that uh, you can inject some fun into baseball. The purists can have their game, and the new people to the game, and and the new wave can have some fun as well. So I hope we see at a higher yeah. level well thanks a lot for having me guys this is uh it's got deep you know so i appreciate that uh, i appreciate you coming on joy and thanks for sharing uh you know your experience uh that's really important to talk about so thank you very much all right talk to you guys again soon let's get back to the action this is the prospects baseball show Well, that was a very informative, important, and uh, at times entertaining uh, conversation with Joey. And uh, I think it's uh, one that 
like I said, we all have to keep the conversation going. And uh, Joey can be found at Joey underscore Zana on Twitter. Uh, so there we go. Uh, by the way, uh, you just you just sent me a, a DM that I wanted to bring up, actually, and I'm glad you did. I forgot about it. This is a great tweet from uh, CJ uh, uh, Nikowski, former pitcher. Uh, and he said, my wife had an odd way of comforting my son after a rough pitching outing yesterday. Quote, well, at least you still get to live in our house. When dad pitched bad, we usually had to move. That is the <laughs> ultimate burn, dude. Uh, it's, it's hilarious. It's awesome. That <laughs> is so funny. I'm glad you sent that to me because I actually wanted to to bring that up. Uh, but in, in honor of Joey, uh, who we just had on, who I think uh, would be a great uh, play-by-play addition at any level and, and add, uh, you know, just an injection of fun into the game. Like he said, he's not doing it on every call, but we're doing our top five play-by-play announcers. Um, and, and, and you can go with color guys if you want to, uh, whatever you want. So lay it on me, five to one, who you're going with when it comes to calling a game, who do you want to listen to? All right, well, we'll get into this. Uh, I got the... The, the old school, I've got a little bit of the guys that are around today. Um, but I'll start with number five. I'm going to go with Buck Martinez. Uh, he's classic. I know that there's some some, some lovers and haters of Buck Martinez, but I like him. He's classic for me. Uh, I like the way he breaks things down. I don't feel like he panders. Uh, good voice. I like the whole run call. And, you know, he's the guy that, that me personally, I hear the most with the Blue Jays being you know broadcast all 162. So you kind of get get used to a voice, and and uh, I enjoy his voice. You know, there, there's some guys that I would definitely would want to hear 162 of, but that'll be number my number five. Uh, I'll go number four with Bob Euchre <laughs> from Major League. Great announcer, I love Bob Euchre. Uh, classy, funny. You know, got maybe a little bit of. Uh, of what Joey Zanaboni ends up being now. You, you hear a little bit of that in Bob Euchre, especially in the movie Major League, uh, with some funny funny comments going in there. Um, number three, I'll go Ken Singleton. Probably the first announcer that I really loved. Him and, and Dave Van Horn were great on the Expos broadcast. Right. Uh, but, but Kenny Singleton started with the Expos. Uh, so I, and I'm an Expos fan, so I kind of, Kind of where my heart lies there, and, and his transition over to, I think he did the Orioles for a little bit, and then to the Yankees, and I really like the Yankees broadcast, uh, sharp, uh, got a Yankee feel to it, and I really like Kenny Singleton. Um, number two, I'll go with the classic Harry Carey. Uh, you know, at times I've been able to kind of do his voice, I'm not going to try right now, because I don't have the skill. Uh, but I do know a couple people that can, can do the Im- impression and impersonation of, of Harry Carey. Uh, what a classic, man. Uh, brought a lot of energy to Cubbies baseball. and uh, That's through a, a long stretch of the, the curse and never getting it done. And um, What a character, man, to, to be that level of character uh, and not even play the game. Uh, that tells you something about it. And, and my number one, the current guys, Kuiper and Kuko and San Fran, they're tandem for me. Uh, dude, I can listen to those guys all day, any day. Uh, they just do a great job. Uh, the sum of both the, the laid back West Coast style, I guess, that I like. And, 
and those are my my two guys, and they're basically a two-headed monster. So I may want bent the rules there a little bit for the number one seed, but they're tandem. They work together for me, so that's my number one. All right, sounds good. Um, some of those guys uh, on your list I, I really do like, uh, and it's all personal preference. Um, for me, oh. <laughs> n- for number five is Joe Buck. Uh, I love Joe Buck. You know, I, I know his dad was great too, uh, but I, I just I just something about playoff baseball and Joe Buck. And I know he does a, a lot of Cowboys games too, and he's very good at that. But I love his baseball, so I'm going with Joe Buck. Uh, number four, I'm going with Dan Schulman. Canadian, uh, he's he's broken in on ESPN. He's considered one of the best. Uh, he still comes back and does some Jays games. So I'm a big fan of Dan Schulman. I wish he was in more video games. Number three, yeah. <laughs> I'm going with Harry Carey too. The other day, I listened on uh, on Sirius XM right now on the MLB channel. They have some classic games every once in a while, and I listened to the Cubs clinching uh, the the NL uh, pennant uh, in '84. And Harry Carey, like, first of all, I would never try to impersonate Harry Carey because nobody will ever be better than Will Ferrell. So there's no way I would even touch that. But listening to actual Harry Carey, like he was literally reading out Joe and Jane Smith uh, from Smith Lighting in downtown Chicago is celebrating. Like, it was amazing. It was like 1984 <laughs> peak Harry Carey. So he's awesome. And he's and he's a legend. So um, pretty good. Number two for me is Johnny Miller. I loved, loved, loved uh, Johnny Miller doing baseball. Um, it just uh, Sunday night and Johnny Miller was uh, something that was so comfort comforting for me uh, in my youth. And and there's no even I don't do we even need to tell you who number one is for me? Like I, anybody I know who your one is? Yeah, like anybody who listens to this show knows I'm the Vin Scully guy. I think he's the best of all time. Um, and I wish he was in more uh, video games for sure. So that's my top five. Joe Buck, Dan Schulman, Harry Carey, Johnny Miller, and Vin Scully. Hit us up with your top five at Duck Millard, at Jordan Blundell 4, at EDM Prospects, or at Prospects Pod. All right. Are you ready for another edition of Baseball Thunderdome, Jordan? Let's get it. My man. Hey. To another edition of Thunderdome! Two men enter, one man leaves. All right, all right, all right. Prediction? Yes, prediction. Pain. Holy shnikes. It's party time! P-A-R-T. Why? Because I gotta! All right. So this is how it works. I give Jordan the choice of two baseball players. He has to pick one, no splinters, no sitting on the fence. This is baseball Thunderdome. And I gave you the option last week. I said, going forward, I can give you the players ahead of time and you can do some research. You, you don't want to know who they are at a time. You got to go straight off the cuff. Yeah. Straight off the, there, there's no, there's no distraction. There's no swaying. It, it's in the moment. What to enter one leaves. All right. So here is what we are looking at with baseball Thunderdome today. Infielders retired. We're going to the hot corner, buddy. George Brett or Mike Schmidt. Ooh. George Brett has his own bat brand. Bat. I was never a huge fan of them. Durable. Nothing wrong with them. Just personal preference. Never got into the Brett bat. Um, 
I, I really like the pine tar up the bat. Uh, I was a big pine tar guy. So there would be some some linking there. Uh, fiery player. Unbelievable hitter. I mean, aside from all the baseball accolades, we, we almost can make those a wash. You know, this fiery guy. Led his team, was a leader, and had some success with the Kansas City Royals. Uh, legend, Hall of Famer. And then we got Mike Schmidt. Uh, Mike Schmidt, a perennial and National League power hitting leader, probably for over a decade. I'd have to check the numbers as this is right in the moment. 18 years. 18 years, a perennial power hitter. The Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, maybe, get to, maybe get the bump because I love those old school jerseys of the 80s. And also, because they played in the National League East, where my Expos played, I did pay attention to Mike Schmidt. When I, this is when I was young. This is in the 80s. I mean, I was born in 1980, so this is right when I first started getting into baseball. I knew who Mike Schmidt was because of the NL East, because of the Expos. Um, good defender, great defender, both guys. So two enter, one leaves. I have my decision, Dino. Who is it? Mike Schmidt. There we go. The power hitter. And and I lied. It was about a 14 years of his 18 year span where he hit uh, at least 20 home runs. Um, but he was, and, and it's, you know, Mike Schmidt, two MV, three MVPs, rather George Brett had one. You're, you're, you're getting the power from Schmidt. Uh, you're getting the average from George Brett, who fi- who finished uh, with a career average of 305, uh, a career OPS of 857 um, versus an OPS of 908. Here's the interesting thing between these two guys. So George Brett played 21 years. Mike Schmidt played 18 years. As I mentioned, you got the home runs from Schmidt. You got the uh, the the contact and the uh, the on base uh, from George Brett. Do you know who had more RBIs? Well, no, I, I would lean towards Mike Schmidt. Yes, he he. Mike Schmidt did not. He Mike Schmidt. Uh, George Brett actually had more RBIs by one. Like it, by it just one. <laughs> th- yeah, it's amazing that these two guys went at it differently. And George Brett had one thousand five hundred ninety six RBIs. Mike Schmidt had one thousand five hundred ninety five. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, that's cool. That is so crazy. I mean, like this what, guy. Uh, you, the other games played there. How many more games did George Brett play? Yeah, George Brett played. Uh, Mike Schmidt played twenty four hundred and four or twenty four oh four, and so almost three hundred games more. Uh, Brett played twenty seven oh seven. So it's interesting. Like George Brett, when you look at it, he averaged nineteen home runs, ninety six RBIs a season where Schmidt was 37 and, and 107, but two guys that, you know, played, you know, within 300 games of each other uh, coming away with one RBI difference is pretty interesting. No, it's really good. They were the, they were kind of, I guess, the, the two guys of that era, of that third base. I mean, they're both, they're both Hall of Famers and, and both did a little differently. You're right. And it's kind of funny that, as you would think of it now, is Mike Schmidt, kind of is more of an American League player and George Brett's kind of more right. of a National League player. Right, yeah. Yeah, and if you look at it, you know, you could throw Chipper Jones in there, you could throw an Eddie Matthews in there. You know, some people might argue Wade Boggs or Brooks Robinson, but these are probably the two best at their position, I think. So I, 
I mean, if we if we if Chipper Jones is in the mix, then I may have had to go a different direction. You think so? Well, I love Chip. Well, y- yeah. You think Chipper uh, Jones is on the level of Mike Schmidt? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Chipper's my man, dude. Switch hitter, 300, 400, uh, 300 average, 400 on, on base. You know, I don't even know what his plugin was. Uh, he absolutely carried the Braves a couple of times. The year they won the World Series, uh, he was as dominant a middle order bat as there's been in the playoff run. Um, and the longevity and the classic and, and the name Chipper Jones is perfect for baseball. <laughs> You know, those, those important things like his name that, that make the difference here. Yeah, I, I don't know why Chipper Jones didn't win more MVPs with the uh, some of the seasons he's had. I still would probably take Mike Schmidt over Chip, Chipper Jones, but uh, that's the fun of baseball Thunderdome. All right, dude, that's going to wrap things up. Uh, really enjoyed this uh, show today. An important and uh, entertaining conversation that we had uh, with Joey Zanaboni. So uh, I encourage you uh, to speak out against racial prejudice and uh and speak up for racial justice and and in this country and and all around so dude thanks as always uh, for joining me on the show have yourself a, a great week hopefully the sun comes out you're able to get outside and do stuff and uh yeah we'll chat next week dude yeah thanks you know an important topic covered today so i'm glad we were able to do that All right. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please subscribe and leave us a review on whatever uh, podcasting platform you use or listen to. It's really important for us uh, to be able to make this show as uh, entertaining and informative as possible. If you'd like to be a part of this show, hit us up uh, either as a guest or an advertiser at prospectsbaseballshow at gmail.com. Have yourself a great week, everybody. One more thing to do. Ban the shift it's gone it's a grand slam and that's the ball game